The accounting firm of Haynes, Eisenbarger, and Skiba presents a 25th Silver Anniversary College Football Hall of Fame season of Fighting Irish Preview. And now, here's your host, Phil Houck. The Windy City, Chi-Town, the city of broad shoulders, the city that works, the city by the lake, the heartland of America. Chicago is my kind of town. Sweet home, Chicago. The city of Chicago is roughly 95 miles west of Notre Dame, but it might as well be right next door. At over 20,000 strong, the city of Chicago is home to the largest Notre Dame alumni club in the world. And located in the heart of Chicago is historic Soldier Field. In 1927, Notre Dame and Newt Rockne defeated USC 7-6 at Soldier Field in front of 120,000 fans. That is the largest crowd in college football history. In 1929, when Notre Dame Stadium was being built, the Irish officially had no home games, but they played three in Soldier Field, ended that season 9-0, and made history by winning another national championship for Rockney. In fact, beginning in 1924, Notre Dame has played 12 games in Soldier Field and has never lost. This week, the 3-0 Irish roll into Chicago for a Shamrock Series matchup against the 1-1, 18th-ranked Wisconsin Badgers. It's an important matchup any way you look at it, but another thing is on the line that would add to the historic mystique of Notre Dame playing at Soldier Field. 105, as in, Brian Kelly has won 105 games as the head coach at Notre Dame, and so has Newt Rockney. The Irish hope to go to 4-0 this week and to add to its Windy City history as Brian Kelly looks to get to win number 106 at Soldier Field in Sweet Home, Chicago. Chicago. Now, stay tuned for Fighting Irish Insight from America's foremost authority on Notre Dame football, Tim Priester, senior editor of irishillustrated.com. After these words from Haynes, Eisenbarger, and Skiba, Sheer McCulloch Auctioneers, and Flight by Yingling. Raise the bar with only 2.6 grams of carbs and 95 calories. This is Fighting Irish Preview. The University of Notre Dame exemplifies dedication to hard work, integrity, and personal values, which result in success in the classroom and on the football field. The professionals at Haynes, Eisenbarger, and Skiba, like Notre Dame, know the same dedication, and their experience and expertise provide peace of mind for you and your business. Tax planning, tax compliance, auditing, business valuation, and estate planning, the full-service accounting firm of Haynes, Eisenbarger, and Skiba, like the Irish, has what it takes to help you achieve success. Located in Fort Wayne near Jefferson Point, Haynes, Eisenbarger, and Skiba proudly supports Notre Dame football and congratulates all those who are a part of the greatest tradition in all of sports. Go Irish! This is Art Salzburg. I don't speak for a lot of companies, but Sharon McCulloch is a firm that provides a great and much-needed service. As Sharon and I get older, we've been thinking of moving, but frankly, the thought is somewhat overwhelming. That's where Sharon McCulloch comes in with a full-service plan that takes the pressure off. Listen to this. Sharon McCulloch will sell your house, auction the items you don't want to take, then pack everything else and move you. In sports terms, that's a blowout win. Sharon McCulloch uses an international auction platform to make sure your possessions are seen by the right buyers. They'll get top dollar for your special treasures. 
Sheer McCulloch is highly recommended by leading retirement communities and law firms, plus their AAA with the Better Business Bureau. Call them at 441-8636. That's 441-8636. They'll make your moving experience easy and profitable. Sheer McCulloch. Introducing Flight by Yingling, the next generation of light beer. For those who don't follow trends, but craft them. Flight by Yingling is 12 ounces of uncompromised refreshment from America's oldest brewery. With only 2.6 grams of carbs and 95 calories, this is premium refreshment, six generations in the making. Don't just raise a glass, raise the bar. Flight by Yingling, now available wherever beer is sold. DG Yingling and Sun Incorporated, Pottsville, Pennsylvania. Please enjoy responsibly. This is Art Salzburg. Congratulations, Phil and Tim, on 25 years of Fighting Irish Preview. Now back to Fighting Irish Preview with your host, Phil Halk. Tim Priester, lots to talk about today, but you know, I've been meaning to congratulate you one of these weeks on your work anniversary, and it's a big one. How many years have you been covering Notre Dame football now? 110. Isn't it hard <laughs> it to feels believe that, way. <laughs> that I look? Uh, no, it's actually 40, Phil. It's my 40th year. It's really, it's really kind of surreal. It's pretty hard to believe that I would be doing something uh, that I that I love as much as I do for for 40 years. But yeah, it's 40 uh, right out of Notre Dame uh, in the fall of 82. And, um, you know, they all haven't been great years for Notre Dame. It's only been one national title and there hasn't been another one in uh, 33 years. But, uh, you know, I really and I say this to Notre Dame fans, it's it's a privilege to cover Notre Dame. And I think it should be a privilege for Notre Dame fans uh, following the Fighting Irish because it's a it's a pretty special place well beyond the football field. Indeed, and I've got 25 years of my own, not quite at the level, obviously, as you have, but uh, a privilege is a good way to describe it and a joy in many ways, no no doubt about it. And uh, But 40 years of covering, as I used to say in a commercial I think I did for you one time, that is of covering every game and every practice. Folks, that's pretty special, and that's why we talk to Tim Priester every week. Uh, Tim Priester, the Irish are a perfect 3-0 and now for what I've been kind of referring to as the exhibition season, but now things are going to start to get a little more interesting when you look at the next five games on the Irish slate. Just how does this schedule get more interesting for the next five games? Go ahead. Well, I mean, as we've talked about, five straight opponents that have two weeks to prepare. I, I really think the next two in particular – um, you know, Wisconsin and, and, and Cincinnati are really, really pivotal to this season, obviously. I, I, you know, if they split, it wouldn't be a surprise. Uh, if they win both, that would be a heck of an accomplishment, considering you mentioned they're a perfect 3-0. and They're kind of an imperfect 3-0, and but you'll have that many times at the beginning of the season. We saw that happen in 2018 on Notre Dame changed quarterbacks at that time. But yeah, the next two, I think are really, really critical and, and, and the two most difficult really, uh, although going to Virginia tech and then hosting USC, of course, the rival and then North Carolina coming to town and their offense seems to have picked up, but if they can get through these next two, something pretty special could happen this season. No doubt about it. Five games is a murderer's row, especially in the next two weeks, but I, as we said in the preseason, I think it's navigable. Now, uh, after three games, what is the identity of this football team? Does Notre Dame football 2021 have an identity? 
Well, it clearly did last year with the running game, and, and it certainly has switched over to the passing game, uh, you know, this year. I don't know that that's – I knowing Tommy Reese, that's not something that he wants – you know, he wants to be able to pass the football, but the, the, the inability to run it doesn't sit well with with Brian Kelly and, and, and Tommy Reese. So, you know, I, I thought last year there was a clear identity. I think they're still trying to find theirs uh, in, in 2021, and frankly – uh, the, the way to do it because of the struggles of the offensive line is going to predominantly have to be through the air to be a pass first team uh, until they can get that running game going, which I'm not sure is actually going to happen in 2021. Well, I see an attacking defense, disruptive de- defense maybe is a better way to say it, and a big play offense, and that may be what we settle on, but uh, that combination can work. Now, Tim, I thought the best news coming out of last week was the defense. No big plays yielded. Three sacks, now 13 through three games, five tackles for loss. Talk about disruptive. Also two interceptions, eight quarterback hurries. Tim, can this defense be good enough to make up for the shortcomings on offense? Perhaps not in every instance, Phil, but I think in, in many instances, you know, it's a, it, it's the earmark of a an aggressive defense under Marcus Freeman. When you put a lot of pressure on the quarterback, you start creating turnovers. Um, you know, five interceptions in three games. They had seven interceptions last year in 12 games. So they're taking the ball away. They're putting pressure on the quarterback. They're, they're making tackles behind the line of scrimmage, and that can carry you a long way. I think it'll it will serve Notre Dame pretty well this week, especially because I think, uh, you know, you look at two teams going against each other, both will likely struggle to score. Uh, but because of Notre Dame's passing game, I think they have some some greater opportunities to score than Wisconsin against Marcus Freeman's defense. Okay, well, when we're talking about Notre Dame possibly being a great defense, you got to talk about Kyle Hamilton. And there was one play last week that just absolutely floored me. Tim, during late in the first quarter, you know the play I'm going to talk about, I think. Fourth and one, jet sweep. Uh, Purdue is down to about, I don't know, the 35-yard line in Notre Dame territory. And as that play developed, like you, I've watched a zillion football plays in my life. My mind had already judged that there is no chance that Notre Dame's going to stop this first down on this play, that that runner is going to go for at least a couple of yards and get the first down. And then like a shot out of my brain's perception came Kyle Hamilton and make, made the tackle, uh, I think for actually a small loss, but certainly on fourth down, he stopped the play. It was just a great football play. There was actually a murmur in the press box that was perceptible. How good is this young man? And are there any other Notre Dame players that you've covered that might be in his category? I mean, there aren't enough superlatives. I, I write what's called a tale of the tape every week after reviewing the game on TV. And, and I just can't I can't come up with enough superlatives to cover it on a weekly basis. No, I mean, nothing. there's nothing surprising uh, about his play. It's that good. And, you know, that play, Phil, came at a really critical time. Notre Dame was down three to nothing. They were struggling offensively, and if Purdue converts that, they can easily go up two scores or uh, or in a position to to go up two scores. A player of that caliber, wow! I mean, from that position, no. Uh, but when I think about spectacular seasons and spectacular players, I think the one that comes to mind for me is Manti Teo in 2012. Of course, different positions, uh, but a whole bunch of interceptions from Manti Teo too. As dominant, though, as, as as any player that you've seen defensively, 
I, we go back long enough as dominant as Ross Browner and it's certainly in a different way, but as dominant uh, of a Nordic defensive player as Ross Browner. Can you answer that, Phil? Browner's a good one. Uh, I like that. I also included in my own analysis of this question, offensive players. And I thought of Tim Brown in 1987, but it's been great watching Kyle Hamilton. No doubt about that. Now, Tim, the offensive line has given up 14 sacks and the run game is averaging 2.9 yards per carry. All I can say is, yikes. So what are we going to do? And is freshman Joe Alt maybe part of the answer? He played pretty well in a limited role as a tight end last week. Yeah, I think Joe Alt becomes key if they really want to try to pound the football this week. I think he's the extra tight end, um, you know, along with Michael Mayer. But there's no easy path here, and there's no shortcut to getting the offensive line straightened out. Whereas we thought – defensively some of the, the the problems early in the season it, it seemed pretty obvious that they would be able to correct those defensively but offensively not sure about that so you have to you've got to do some different things I think we're going to see more jet sweeps we haven't seen a whole lot of that yet um you know Michael Mayer will get back involved he only had one catch for five uh for five yards and I think the Nordham senior receivers in addition to Avery Davis who had a good game will will pick it up once again but um uh, you know, it's just it's not going to be easy. I, I don't know uh, when the running game is going to come around. But fortunately, if you can give Jack Cohn enough time, they can they can put up 300 yards passing in a heartbeat. Would we be having this conversation about the offensive line uh, if Blake Fisher hadn't have gotten injured? And really, how how much did we expect out of him? And how key was it uh, to the whole chemistry of this line that he went out in the first week. And that's a lot to put on a freshman. You know, I think there'd still be some issues because I think the guard play is, is where the main culprit is, but Blake Fisher would be, uh, would be better. He's still a true freshman and probably would have made some mistakes along the way. He actually did make some mistakes in the, in the first half of his, of his first game. But, you know, another thing is that, that uh, Jarrett Patterson was placed back at center where he preferred to be. Notre Dame's idea was to put Zeke Carell at center and uh, or to keep Zeke Carell at center from the end of last season and then move Patterson to guard. Um, sometimes you have to do some things to uh, that's in the best interest of a player, um, but I think in the best interest of that offensive line, Zeke Carell would have stayed at center and, and Patterson would have been at guard because, again, I think guard is where the, the main issue has been. Yeah, well, we kind of wondered about that at the time, certainly, when uh, Brian Kelly announced that Jarrett Patterson was going to be his center no matter what. But it is what it is. It's probably too late to make that change now, certainly in midseason. Let's move on to the offense and their performance last week. Uh, Jack Cohn, a little inaccurate at times, did make some plays, but a lot of drops by uh, senior receivers, those seniors – 17 targets, three catches, 21 yards. But Avery Davis had arguably the best game of his career, 120 yards, 62-yard touchdown. He had five catches, played really well. Tim, for two years now, I think I've been kind of screaming, feed Avery Davis the ball. The guy just makes plays. Is it uh, about time that Notre Dame starts listening to me? (laughs) Yeah, I think so. But, you know, as soon as you take one thing away, something else opens up. I mean, you still have to get the ball to Michael Mayer. And, you know, Avery Davis was uh, five for five, five targets, five catches. And you mentioned the, the 17 targets and three catches uh, amongst the other three senior wideouts. That is that's terrible efficiency. So, you know, I, I mean, I think there's enough flexibility when, within this offense. And I think 
I think somebody else is going to emerge this week. We'll talk about that as we get into the analysis a little bit later here. But, um, you know, they, they do have a lot of weapons, and, and uh, Avery Davis is one of them. But you've got to get the football to uh, Kevin Austin. You have to get the football to Michael Mayer. And because of the rushing issues, uh, you've got to throw the football to the running backs as well. Well, we, we mentioned a, a little bit of inaccuracy on the part of Jack Cohn, and, and I want to ask a question about Jack Cohn. Uh, Tim, how bad do you think Jack Cohn wants to beat his old team? Yeah, you know, he's a pretty low-key guy. If, if, it, if it's a burning desire, he's certainly not going to reveal it in, in his demeanor and his personality. But, you know, everybody's a competitor. And, and uh, I mean, you can understand Wisconsin's decision when Jack Cohn came back from an injury, Graham Mertz uh, had a really good first game and is the guy of, of the future. So that's a tough decision for a coaching staff to make. I don't know that I don't know that Jack Cohn's the kind of kid to play with bitterness. Uh, but if there is any motivation going into this game, I mean, if the situation was reversed, I know Notre Dame fans would be concerned about uh, you know their their uh, uh, former quarterback playing for the other team, and so. Um, that, that it's a, let's put it this way. It's a, um, maybe a negative motivation if there's such a term, uh, on Wisconsin, because they know right now, I think Wisconsin fans are looking at their team and saying, if we had Jack Cohn, we'd be a lot better. You know, it's kind of the, the, uh, Phil Jerkovic story from last year and, uh, how he performed uh, for Boston College against Notre Dame. Okay, Tim, here's your Brian Kelly breaks Newt Rockney's uh, win total question. What are your thoughts on on him doing so? And when you were a kid growing up in South Bend, were you like being? Did you think it was ever possible that somebody was going to come along and win a hundred and five games? It, it seemed like an astronomical number, and it was. Well, I mean, if Eric Parsegian couldn't do it, Eric Parsegian would have done it had he chosen to continue coaching in Notre Dame. But uh, it is a big number by Notre Dame standards, and and uh, numbers and records are meant to be broken. And Brian Kelly has earned it. Certainly, uh, longe- longevity. He survived the 2016 season when a lot of people were clamoring for, for him to be fired. And he certainly earned it in the four-plus years uh, since that 2016 season. And credit to him. I mean, he made some changes in the coaching staff. He made some changes in his demeanor and his approach in coaching the Notre Dame players. And so he's earned it. I mean, we're talking about 46 and 8. In the last 54 games, that's an incredible accomplishment in today's game. Yeah, I point to that 46-8 and eight all the time. Also, 26 consecutive home wins as being huge. And uh, for more on my thoughts on it, go to my website, fightingirishpreview.com, and look for Brian and Newt. Thanks, Tim. Coming up, it's the all-time Irish hero, key to an Irish victory injury report, and the world-famous Irish Illustrated prediction. And during the break, it's the Fighting Irish Fact of the Week, brought to you by Ron Wise and the Wise Insurance Agency. This is the 358th edition of Fighting Irish Preview. Introducing Flight by Yingling, the next generation of light beer. For those who don't follow trends, but craft them. Flight by Yingling is 12 ounces of uncompromised refreshment from America's oldest brewery. With only 2.6 grams of carbs and 95 calories, this is premium refreshment six generations in the making. Don't just raise a glass, raise the bar. Flight by Yingling, now available wherever beer is sold. DG Yingling and Sun Incorporated, Pottsville, Pennsylvania. Please enjoy responsibly. The Fighting Irish Fact of the Week is brought to you by our friends at the Wise Insurance Agency. 
Beginning with Wisconsin, the Irish will face five straight opponents coming off bye weeks. Call Ron Wise at the Wise Insurance Agency or go to thewiseinsuranceagency.com and get an auto or home quote in less than five minutes. Now back to Fighting Irish Preview with your host, Phil Halk. This is Fighting Irish Preview, the Irish take on the Wisconsin Badgers in Soldier Field this week. TV coverage on Fox starts at noon, South Bend time. And it's now time for the all-time Irish hero, brought to you by the Marina at Lake Gage. Chris Craft, Mastercraft, and Premier Pontoons, we share your boating passion. And this year, in honor of 25 years on the air for Fighting Irish Preview, we're focusing on the great running backs of the Fighting Irish Preview era, the last quarter century. And so far this season, we've honored Autry Denson and Julius Jones. This week, a player whose indie career was impacted by injury and some crowded running back rooms. But he is a great example of the power of perseverance, especially when his pro career is factored in. Ryan Grant grew up in the New York City suburb of Nyack, but he attended Don Bosco Prep in New Jersey. In 2000, his senior year, he excelled as a two-way player, notching nearly 1,000 yards rushing and also recording 61 tackles and seven interceptions as a defensive back. For this accomplishment, he was named the USA Today New Jersey Player of the Year. Bob Davey lured him to South Bend, and he backed up Julius Jones his freshman year and only recorded 29 carries. Tyrone Willingham took over the next season, and with Jones suspended for the year, Grant had the opportunity to take over the starting role. Grant responded with a 1,085-yard nine touchdown season. Grant's best game of the season, in which the Irish went 10-3, and came against Air Force when he rushed for 190 yards and a TD in a hard-fought 21-14 win. Expectations were high for his junior season, but with Julius Jones back, he split time and ran for 510 yards and three touchdowns. In 2004, Jones was gone, but Grant was hobbled by a hamstring injury and the emergence of freshman Darius Walker. Grant ended that season with 515 yards and another five touchdowns. Despite a 4-4-3-40 time at the NFL Combine, Grant went undrafted in 2005, but he signed with the New York Giants and spent the year on their practice squad. He then missed the entire 2006 season after suffering a serious off-season freak accident that resulted in the severing of an artery in his left arm. After a long recovery and rehab, the Giants traded him to the Packers in 2007, and he worked his way into the starting lineup and went for 956 yards and eight touchdowns despite only starting seven games. In 2008 and 2009, he was a workhorse for the Packers, exceeding 1,200 yards each season. The injury bug bit him again in 2010, but he returned in 2011 and was effective in part-time duty. He then retired after the 2012 season. Tim, Ryan Grant was a guy you loved having in the locker room, and he was able to do some pretty good things on the field as well. He did. I mean, he was he was an unsung player for Notre Dame. There's no doubt about that. And, I, you know, the 4-4-3 speed that you mentioned kind of surprised me uh, when, when he did that. Uh, and he was able to, you know, parlay this into a, a pretty decent NFL career. He was tucked between, as you mentioned, during uh, Julius Jones's career. But his 261 carries – is the most in the last 20 years. And it, it, it was it's second uh, in the generation prior to him. You have to go back to Alan Pinkett when it was Pinkett, Pinkett, pass, punt. 
but Ryan Grant did a heck of a job in Notre Dame and really exceeded, I think, expectations uh, on the NFL level. Yeah, he absolutely did that. Had an eight-year pro career. And as part of that pro career, and when he was with the Packers in 2010, Ryan Grant won a Super Bowl ring. Ryan Grant, another Marina at Lake Gage all-time Irish hero. The Marina at Lake Gage. We love boats. And it's now time for the Aspen Mortgage Key to an Irish Victory. Number 18, Wisconsin, is 1-1. One one. They were idle last week. In their last game, they defeated Eastern Michigan 34-7. In week one, they narrowly lost to Penn State 16-10. Paul Christ is in his seventh season and has enjoyed a lot of success in Madison. The Badgers have been to bowl games for 19 straight years, and under Christ, they have gone 5-1 in those games. The lone loss was in Rose Bowl in 2019 to Oregon 28-27 when a guy named Jack Cohn was at the controls. Highly rated quarterback Graham Mers took over from Cohn at quarterback after Cohn suffered an injury last year, and he is off to a slow start this season. Through two games, he has thrown two interceptions and no touchdown passes. A year ago, in a shortened season, Mers was a 61% passer with nine touchdown passes and five interceptions. All of Murr's top receivers are back from last year. Danny Davis at wide receiver and tight end Jake Ferguson are the best of the lot. A year ago, the 6'5", 244-pound Ferguson led the Badgers in catches, yards, and touchdowns. The Badgers, of course, are known for their running game. Junior Shez Malusi, a transfer from Clemson, has racked up 265 yards and two TDs already through two games. Junior Isaac Garendo is another back to watch. He is averaging 8.7 yards per carry and has an 82-yard touchdown to his credit and speed to burn. The Badger offensive line returns three out of five from a year ago. On defense through two games, the Badgers have been outstanding. In the game one loss to Penn State, the defense held the Nittany Lions to three for 13 on third down, just 50 yards rushing and under 300 yards total on the day. To this point of the season, they rank number one nationally against the run, allowing just 1.8 yards per rush. In all, eight starters returned from a group that finished fifth nationally last year in total defense. Brian Kelly singled out nose tackle Kiana Benton and the Badger linebacking core when he said this week that they would be instinctive and as disciplined as any the Irish will face this year. They'll present a tall task for Notre Dame's patched-up offensive line. Indy's defense may be up to the task of keeping the points down in this game, but it is unlikely that the Irish running game will find much room to operate against the Wisconsin front seven. Notre Dame's best hope might be to find a way to give Jack Cohn some time to make plays with his arm. Tim Priester, what is the Aspen Mortgage key to an Irish victory? I don't think there's any doubt about it, Phil, that Notre Dame's going to struggle running the football. I mean, maybe they can break a run, but outside of that, it's just going to be very difficult to do. So this is all about the passing game, and and it's on both fronts. Notre Dame needs to hit a couple shots. I think they're capable of doing that. And then you have to corral Graham Mertz, who really has struggled the last seven games, two touchdowns, seven interceptions. So uh, control Mertz, force him to beat you, and then hit a couple shots on on Notre Dame's side of it in the passing game. Okay, hit a couple of shots downfield. Come on, Jack Cohn, and control Graham Mertz. Uh, don't let him go off. And that is Tim Priester's Aspen Mortgage key to an Irish victory. And Tim Priester, who is this week's Aspen Mortgage key player for the Irish? 
I feel real strongly about this, Phil. Uh, Kevin Austin Jr. had a bad game last week, and Jack Cohen wasn't sharp. There's no doubt about it. So it went hand in hand. But that wasn't the Kevin Austin that we saw in the first couple of weeks and that we anticipate going into this season. I think Notre Dame's big play performer against Wisconsin is Kevin Austin Jr. Okay, Kevin Austin Jr. is your Aspen Mortgage key player this week. Aspen Mortgage, for all your mortgage needs, call 486-LOAN. And it's now time for the Injury Report, brought to you by Indiana Physical Therapy. Your choice for physical therapy now at 21 Indiana locations. Tim, uh, where do the Irish stand health-wise this week? And let's talk about Michael Carmody uh, and maybe some Prince Collie and some Jordan Botello. Well, uh, Collie and Botello back in action. Well, it remains to be seen what happens with Michael Carmody. I think Tosh Baker starts at left tackle, but we'll probably see Carmody as well. We know about uh, Buckner's, uh, Tyler Buckner's hamstring. I think he will be ready to go. Cam Hart landed on his hip late last week, the cornerback. I think he'll be ready to go. The big question is Kurt Heinisch. Notre Dame's nose tackle. There's been a lot of speculation. Brian Kelly shot it down, but I think it's pretty doubtful that Notre Dame's starting nose tackle is going to be in the lineup this weekend. That's not necessarily good news. Kurt Heinisch, obviously a key player. Luckily, there is some depth at that position. Thanks, Tim. And that is the Indiana Physical Therapy Injury Report. And it's now time for the world-famous Irish Illustrated Prediction, brought to you by PolyPro. Beautiful lifetime warranty garage floors in one day. Check them out at polyprofloors.com. My wife and I love our polypro floor. That's polyprofloors.com. Tim Priester Vegas says that this week Wisconsin is favored by six and a half over the Irish. What does America's foremost authority say? I think that line's concerning, Phil. It opened at, at three and a half. Wisconsin was a three and a half point favorite this summer. And I know a lot of Notre Dame fans were surprised that, by that. And it's gone up to six and a half in favor of Wisconsin. I think it's low scoring, Phil. And I mentioned deep shots and what Notre Dame needs to do. I think Wisconsin has a better chance, a, a, a much better chance of running the football than Notre Dame. Not that they're going to gash Notre Dame, but I think they're going to be better at it. And I look at it this way, Phil, considering Notre Dame and Wisconsin, you mentioned Wisconsin 19 straight bulls. What's more likely to happen? Notre Dame being 4-0 or Wisconsin being 1-2? and I think Wisconsin, I, I think Notre Dame's a better football team, but I think the law averages evens out with Notre Dame here in the early season. I have Wisconsin 24, Notre Dame 17. Wisconsin 24, Notre Dame 17. That would be a cover on the spread anyway, and that is Tim Priester's world-famous Irish Illustrated prediction. Tim, we all have the same thoughts on this, and we're all predicting a close game and a low-scoring game. Uh, the Irish, I, th- I say, are capable of holding the points down in this game because of that uh, defense, which I think has improved each week. And Wisconsin kind of has a so-so for them offense. On the other side of the ball, if Jack Cohn gets some time and the Irish receivers can cut down on their drops from a week ago, I think the Irish can make just enough plays to eke this one out. Notre Dame 20, Wisconsin 17. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Bill. Go Irish, and thanks for listening to Fighting Irish Preview. Special thanks to Jim Shovelin, Brett Rump, Art Salzberg, and studio producer Adam Schenkel. Fighting Irish Preview is the copyrighted property of Judge Phil Productions. 